Like, I think I'm fighting to reclaim God as feminine, Mm. not because I think God is exclusively feminine, but because God's masculinity has been so overemphasized Mm. that it's toxic, you know, and that's really what masculinity, masculinity without femininity is toxic. Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less cynical and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I am Macy. Welcome to episode number 36. 36. Wow, We're 36. chugging along here. Uh, drum roll? Sure. Drum roll? <laughs> yeah, it's up to you. <laughs> Tonight's, today's episode is Christina Cleveland. Are we titling it Christina Cleveland? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. It's an interview, y'all. We'll see... We, I mean, we're we're recording this on a Friday. We have two days to title it, so we don't know what will eventually be titled. But this is an interview with Christina Cleveland. And if you don't know who Christina Cleveland is, we are excited for y'all to get to know her. Yes. And we were, Christina Cleveland was on our list of. We have a a work document that has our schedule, Mm -hmm. tentatively, and then we have interviews, and then we have dream interviews. And Christina Cleveland was in that list of dream interviews. A dream interview. Like, a, in my mind, it was a big dream interview. Like, maybe yeah. someday, maybe someday we mm-hmm. could interview Christina Cleveland. And, and then, then it happened. And then Scott emailed her assistant. Yes. And then emailed her Christina Cleveland FaceTimed us in. So, oh, this is our first FaceTime interview. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, we'll, okay. So, in this little intro, everybody, we are going to prep you. Do you need to find your phone? I have it. Okay. Um, in this little intro, we are going to prep you on what this interview entails uh, so you know what you're getting yourself into. And we're also going to tell you a little bit about Christina Cleveland, and we're also going to tell you a little bit about why we wanted to have Christina Cleveland on the podcast. But I guess yeah. I guess we'll start with just a few heads up about this episode. This is the first time we've ever done a FaceTime interview mm-hmm. on the podcast. So it was... It was interesting. I don't know if anybody cares about this, but we, Macy and I, put a lot of work in and did a lot of research into figuring out how to do good sound quality. Yeah, we for did our, our very best. We did our very best, and it still sounds different. Yeah, there's still some you weird can tell, sounds. I think you can tell that it's not a face-to-face interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also the dynamic is a bit different because of that. And initially, I'll just say this: when you hear when when, when we first start the interview with Christina Cleveland. I think she's in a hotel or something. Mm-hmm. And the first eight minutes or so, there's some like beeping in the background. There's like a <laughs> truck backing up or <laughs> and some chatter. Eventually that dies down. Yeah. And towards the inter- end of the interview, some more noises start to bubble back up. But uh, I promise you, it's not like that the entire time. And it's the words she's, she's saying are worth She's spinning straight fire yeah. snaps all the way. I yeah. was really pumped, but also so nervous because she was... Just she's just epic. Yeah. So don't just all this material and content that Christina is bringing is worth getting through the background truck beeping noises. It's mm-hmm. worth it. So worth it. Yeah. And then there's other thing with FaceTime too is like I it seems that like if Christina's talking and then one of us says mm-hmm for a second it cuts her off and all of a sudden she her sentence dies out. Oh, so it's just something to pay attention. You can I, still I make out what a, she's saying. A lot. Yeah, you can still <laughs> make out what she's saying, but um, it's just a little glitch in this technology. Now, we did have her plug into our Tascam box, which is what records our podcast. So her sound is better than it would have been if we would just like put a speaker up to the computer sound, you know? Yeah, and hopefully our sound is still pretty solid. Normal. I don't know if you all care about that, but there it is. I mean, that's that's what a you'll little hear. background. It's a of the different podcasting. sound than normal. She wasn't live with us, but we were so grateful that we got to FaceTime with her. Yeah, so I think and she said she only had thirty minutes, and we got like forty, forty-five 40 or something minutes like that. Yeah, with her, we which snuck is very in cool. a few little, few extra minutes there. But um, also, we haven't even said who she is. Christina Cleveland. We've said that Professor Doctor Christina Cleveland. We've <laughs> we've said her name. It's true, but yeah. I wonder if I okay. We're gonna we're gonna now intro Christina Cleveland. Who she is? Yeah, Macy's gonna read her bio from her website. I think. I think so. I think okay. this might be the best way to Describe articulate yeah. all that she does. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay, should I just go there? Yeah. Yeah. So go Christina there. Cleveland is a social psychologist, public theologian, author, and professor based in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, she's a okay, she's an associate professor of the practice of organizational studies at Duke University's Divinity School. As a child growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, Christina was exposed to the richness of cultural difference. The kids on her neighborhood block represented nine different nationalities, where she quickly discovered that be there in five minutes means different things depending on who's saying it. When she wasn't heading off to when she wasn't heading off to an Oakland A's game to catch the Bash Brothers in action, she was studying, ultimately attending Dartmouth College, where she double majored in psychological and brain sciences and sociology. Wow. And UC Santa Barbara, when she then earned her PhD in social psychology. Social psychology. That is cool. Yeah. By um, the way, uh, Macy is uh, house sitting for some dogs, and you might hear a dog barking in the background very... You just got to ignore that. (laughs) (laughs) A very cute puppy. Yeah. Okay. So named one of the five online shepherds to follow. Wow. That's an interesting word that describes her, I think, well. An online shepherd. By Jet Magazine, Christina has devoted much of her vocation to teaching in higher educational institutions, as well as broader society by regularly writing, speaking, and consulting with organizations. Christina teaches classes around the globe on race, reconciliation, and conflict, and leads a research team that is investigating self-compassion. Wow. A research team that is investigating self-compassion as a buffer for racial stress. Wow. Self-compassion as a buffer for racial stress. That is awesome. Gosh, I'm like touched by that sentence. That's a very beautiful thing. I've never heard this, so this is... This is really getting me fired up. Uh, Christina (laughs) is author of Disunity in Christ, Uncovering the Hidden Faces That Keep Us Apart. Her recently completed second book is on the way to the publisher with the working title, Power Trip, How Facing Inequality Sets You Free, which she talks a bit about in our interview. She also says she has a book coming out called God is a Black Woman. Yes. Which I love. Um, (laughs) She's also working on her third book, which examines the relationship between gender, race, and cultural perceptions of God. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and a recent, uh, a recent transplant to the South, Christina has fallen in love with the Carolina woods and thinking, and is thinking about becoming a Durham Bulls fan. Oh, geez. I don't... That's kind of a cheesy, like, end of the bio. Yeah. It's whoever wrote that. But I have, I have one from her website. Oh, is this... This is the, her from her website, too. Oh, like ChristineCleveland.com? Yes. Well, this is a, just another... I don't know where this is, then. I don't know where that... Oh, yeah, that's that's the long one. I'm at the top. Oh, you meant the, like, I... The, I like that. Read that one. I'll just read that. I'll yeah, read that. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> I just... The really no, I, went, you, I like that you went for the long form. That's that's really helpful to a lot of people, I think. This is just a little quicker and maybe a little bit more heart-based, but it says... She says uh, what she does is she says, I integrate justice and reconciliation, hope and lament, hmm. social psychology and theology, research and practice, pro-blackness and pro-humanity, truth and love, and contemplation and action in pursuit of a new reality in which all people have an empowered seat at the table and there is no longer us and them, but simply us. That's like her mission statement, I feel like. That's so good. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Very beautiful. Yeah. She embodies that, I, f- I feel like, very well. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a... Gosh, so many big things in that. Social... God, too much. Pro-blackness, pro-humanity, social psychology, theology, research. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you'll hear me you'll hear me say this in the podcast, so I don't want to be too redundant because I'll tell the story. But, like, essentially I heard Christina Cleveland on a podcast called The Liturgist Podcast. It was a live podcast where they were talking about God as woman. Yeah. But I, I had... My wife had been sending me articles from Christina Cleveland for years. And um, I think what stands out to me personally, everybody is going to encounter... Dr. Cleveland's work in their in their own unique way, but um, as as like a Christian, I think the first article I read by her was when I was in seminary. Um, she was starting to become a person, and Macy and I were just talking about this before we started recording. That was sort of saying the things that we would all say behind closed doors that mm-hmm. we were sort mm-hmm. of in so many silly sort of an embarrassing ways scared to say. Yeah. and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it as a white Christian male. You know, that like so many things that I know are the right things to say, I don't say because I think they'll get me in trouble or um, and somehow Christina found the courage to just start saying a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 that's why I feel bad. I don't want to be entirely vague, um, but but we've said it already, like talking about 
God in different ways that's not a, a white male God. Yeah, and I think, well, if you've listened back to some of our episodes in the past, it's it's like very clear that you and I both come from some Christian traditions. Yeah. And we both studied theology. But we're not like making that the center of this podcast either. No, and nor do I think we have like strict views of theology. Like we right. both studied theology, which studying theology in itself often leads to just realizing that God is really complex and religion is something that's impossible to understand. And yeah. so it's it leads to a lot of mystery and interpretation and I, studying theology, feel very grateful and, like, very lucky that I encountered authors like Christina during my, like, deep studying of theology because it was, it's sucky and hard to just read about a white male God. Like, it's... Yeah, for you especially. I mean, I, I honestly, it wasn't sucky for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I didn't even, yeah, I wouldn't I guess, even had that lens. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it's it's not like it's all terrible, but it's like everything that like this entire indoctrinated language, everything is throwing he pronouns and like every example of any good human pretty much besides like a very few that are always like these token stories is about a male God and male imagery. So, and it's not just that; it's in this Christian world of like theologians that we study. It's mm-hmm. like we They're essentially just study white all male white theologians. Men. And and Christine even recently. I mean, one of the things we're also inspired by is Christine's Instagram account. So go follow. It's her. the most epic Instagram, Instagram account. account. Please go follow it. But she she said something. It might have been there in a talk she gave or somewhere. But she was just even like calling into question one of the many Christian sacred cows, which is the Chronicles of Narnia. Yes. And she was saying, "Okay, C.S. Lewis, thanks for making." the villain, a uh, woman. Hmm. And of course, you know, it's like this, like everybody else is a hero except the woman and she's the witch. And that's the main center of your. Yeah. That's you know. interesting. And Aslan, oh gosh, I was listening. I've never grew up on the Chronicles of Narnia. This is a tangent, but <laughs> Matthew, who is mentioned often on this podcast was making, not making, but playing Chronicles of Narnia in our home. And I've oh, never like read an audio book. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Aslan is kind of scary. This like very dominant like male figure of like yeah yeah and, courageous and, then, and strong and it's very that's interesting. Well, that's to one think of the about. classic lines about Aslan, who is also supposed to represent God. Is is he safe? And they say he is not safe, but he's good. Hmm. And oh, that's, that's good, interesting. That's what C.S. Lewis was trying C.S. to say Lewis. about God, but yeah. Um, so it's a Christianity is slowly becoming less this, but it is. A very male-dominated Well, no, world. in some ways, the male-dominated uh, realm of Christianity in America especially is continuing to grow and increase. And in some ways, yeah. a different story and a different narrative is starting to arise. And Christine, I think, represents that. And I, I hope that voice and that, that story gets more amplified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, essentially what she's saying and what she said in the liturgist, I, okay. So my thing is I did grow up primarily and I would have had language for this. I had no idea Yeah. in a, in a white male centered, uh, Christian worldview and definitely would have thought in the back of my mind, we'd have never said this out loud, but this is what we would have thought. I've th- I would have thought God is a white male. I would have never it's just, it's just said like it that way. It's your natural. When you think God in your head, you're yeah. picturing that. And that's yeah. what's wrapped around that imagery. Now, at our the schools, word. at SPU that I went to and then Fuller Seminary, you had to use what we'd call uh, gender-inclusive language. So it wasn't appropriate in my papers to refer to God as a male. Lovey. That's one of the dogs we're watching. There's three dogs here, folks. You're going to hear some barking. <laughs> um, so it wasn't, a, I would get nice marked down on my podcast. paper if I would have res, res, referred to God as a male. So that was a beginning. I got that. Like yeah. it literally in scripture is appropriate to talk about God as male or female. You don't have to feel any obligation to refer to God as male. But no, I, but every book you pick up is I know, going to have heat. I know, but I wouldn't have made this broader sociological yeah. connection of how, how it, the whole thing is rooted in patriarchy. I mean, it's... Yeah, and that in itself in itself does like show through because I didn't I did think about that, mm, and I yes, feel like it's I because I because I'm like, well, this isn't including me. Yeah, like where where does the female fit in there? So I feel and like this final nail in the coffin for me, or like this final like 
push, this nudge out into a different universe of thinking theologically about God was when I was listening to Christina Cleveland on the liturgist thing. And wow, wow. Well, yeah, she, sa- she essentially says at the end, like, we're not looking for permission from the white male theologians anymore. We're yes. going to say Ma- what needs major to be said. Major snaps to that. Yeah, and I was like, yes. And that that sounded so right. It was probably like on the tip of my tongue, but I, w- I, w- I wouldn't have known to say it that way. Yeah. And that's what's been happening. It's like people like Christine Cleveland and others need to essentially or have been made to feel like they need to get permission mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. talk about God in a certain way from the white male theologians. Yeah. And they're like, nope. We're, we're going to talk about God in the way that we feel like we need to talk about God. Well, and I think that something that's profoundly, like, inspiring about that is the way in which it, A, like, honors her own, like, a person's own experience of God. Yeah. And, like, honors, like, no, this is my experience of God. And God is, whatever the word God is to you, is innately mysterious. Yeah. And there should be a mysterious nature to it. And it's also innately personal. So, like, this... Yeah. Idea. Now that sounds right. I'm gonna keep going. I'll say something to that. <laughs> but, but keep going. I don't want to interrupt you. I just think that, like, the work that Christine is doing and other theologians and scholars and people like her that are challenging these notions of a white male god are also like really honoring of a personal experience and honoring of all different kinds of people's like. I don't know. It's I am really here for this kind of theology, like that sees each person as having divinity in them and having something to say on what divinity is. If yes. we just subscribe to yes. a white male God, then scripture becomes very, just something that we like follow and we don't have anything to say to it. Yeah. Yep. Well said. I don't know. Thoughts. <laughs> Good thoughts. <laughs> um, and, and I would say in addition to that, um, this is what's maddening, and maybe maybe maddening. this maybe this thought is going to be new to you, but like there's this idea, sort of like a really scary word that is used to induce fear in people that could be Christians, but subscribe to other religions too. Is this word relativism? Oh. Any anytime you start saying, "Well, I think God is like this," it's like, "Oh, can't say that. That's relativism." So this is this is what I want people to think about. It's not being intellectually honest, especially when it's coming from the mouth of a white man, to say, I believe in absolute truth, so I adhere to what the Bible says. You can't just say whatever you want about God, so you have to say these things. And then the person says, well, I believe this about God. And they're like, well, that's relativistic. What they're not admitting is they're already saying what they want to say about God. They're just not admitting it. Right, and their own way of interpreting this scripture yeah. Like very this idea that they have this they relative. have this perfect absolute truth comprehended in their minds yeah and if you and if you deviate from that it's relativism hmm. mm-hmm. but they're already interpreting they're already <laughs> already in their own so just admit that you're doing that and there's nothing wrong with it and then we can all start to bring our interpretations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and hear from each other and you know philosophically I think all of our all of our views are going to get at a bigger broader picture of God. So they're all important. Yeah. But so far in this world, it's been like 99.9% white male dominated view. And it's boring. <laughs> it is. It's, <laughs> and it's more boring. harmful. You know, it's not, it's, it's worse than boring. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it didn't take very many like reading female theologians for me to be like, Oh, there's so much more out there, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it opened my mind a lot as a theology student. I feel I don't know. I had an interesting education where because of a certain part of studying reconciliation as my minor, it was like aggressively introduced to different authors mm. than white male theologians, which I'm so grateful for. That's and great. I think I could have easily skidded by without good with job, all SPU. of the people. Well, good job to that. Maybe that one program. Yeah. I, didn't, I mean, I, didn't have I mean, that in terms of educational ministry, yeah. which is like not to bash things, but like my experience is which is the most like leading into the ministry of the church of like being a pastor for white males yes. professors in yep. that realm. Yep. So all the practical ministry teachers were all yikes men. And I yikes. loved them, but yeah. that doesn't take away from the fact that it's like this is all you guys all know the same authors are all speaking the same specific language. You have a certain audience in mind that you're preparing us for. Exactly. And yeah. it's that's not the real world. Yeah. And that's not true to my experience. Very frustrating. Interesting. Mm, 
I mean, I, I I don't. There's no way you can downplay it. I don't. I don't want to say that 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 is that's not good. You know, it's not good. Not yeah. good vibes. Yeah. So, if you are a Christian out there or a spiritual folk, and you're maybe you haven't been listening to other people besides white males and you don't even realize it. You don't even realize it because it's the Start water looking, we drink. Look around your bookshelves. Look around at your See YouTube channel. Who you've been are. listening to. Yeah. Has it been mostly white men? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I know I have. That's a, uh, it's a, it's a season of repentance for me. You're listening to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've been listening to this podcast, you guys know I read James Cone last year. This year, I'm reading Toni Morrison, who's a black woman writer in America. I'm trying to... I've, I've been reading white male theologians my whole life. It's it's kind of like I'm kind of done. I'm kind of done. I've got it. I've got the white male theologian perspective. Yeah. Or the white male perspective in general. Uh, so I guess I guess what I'd want to say in terms of no small thing, like why Ooh. is this important? Um, I I think this is for this isn't a, this isn't like a Christian episode. This is no. it's it's a social justice episode. It's an American episode to a certain extent. It's what it means to be in America currently. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a um, bigger, broader spiritual conversation, not just Christian. Mm-hmm. This doesn't have to be a Christian thing. Yeah, uh, it's 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 talking about this idea that we live in a world that's been playing one note and one perspective for mm-hmm. so long, mm-hmm. and 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 we're trying to be part of a conversation that's saying something else, playing different notes, more notes. <laughs> yeah, and we think it's really important. I think also in terms of no small thing, one thing we really value is bringing your curiosity to the table and like not being afraid of approaching a topic in a Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that I loved about our interview with Christina and and maybe even also, and before we even clicked recording, she just said what was on her mind and said a lot of like courageous things that were a little unsettling to hear. Mm -hmm. And like at some points, but trying to approach the like maybe the unease you may feel at times or the unsettlement with curiosity, I yes. think is an important discipline in this conversation almost. Oh, um, yes. So I don't know. This is, this was a very, I'm excited for people to listen, to hear what she has to say. Also, you guys, we talked about the Enneagram. <laughs> got we did. She's an Enneagram one. She's an we Enneagram, about Enneagram one. So if you, are curious to know more about her Enneagram journey. We talked for like 10 minutes about it and we popped off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess just in closing, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, we're just going to let the interview play. There's not going to be any musical interludes or anything like that. I, I just will say like, we're probably about 22, 23 minutes into this intro. Um, there's, there's about eight minutes of niceties at the beginning of this interview. And, and if you just want to, I don't know if you want to skip this entire intro, go ahead. But if you want to really get to the juice of what, Christina's saying maybe skip to minute 30 in this podcast episode. Wow. I don't know. People some, people some keep nice telling thoughts. me it'd be nice to know where to skip to if they are short of time. So skip, skip to, minute, to 30. minute 30, I guess. And that's when it gets really pumped up. And that's when the sound starts to get slightly better. The <laughs> truck stopped beeping. But um, uh, we were so, so grateful that we got to do this interview. So grateful. Please go check Christina Cleveland out. Buy her books. Follow her on Instagram. Support her on Patreon. Support her on Patreon. Amazing work. And we hope that someday we might get to interview her again, potentially in person, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Sky's the limit. She says that in this episode. (laughs) Uh, So here it is. Thank you. We hope you guys enjoy. Yep. Enjoy it, everybody. super professional microphone <laughs> <laughs> and you're just recording audio right mm-hmm. just recording, just recording audio, audio. Yep. yeah uh okay we're so excited that you're on our podcast right now <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> um so th- uh, this is an interesting story we heard you on the liturgist uh live show uh, hmm. and that was so profound mm-hmm. and um my wife uh she she's also a master's from fuller seminary and uh, I remember listening to that, and this was such a classic moment, I feel like, for white men in general, was I came after listening to that, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you have to hear about this woman, Christina Cleveland, who was on The Liturgist. Listen to what she said, just debriefing the whole thing with her. 
And she was kind of smiling and looking at me in a really strange way. She goes, now, I've quoted Christina Cleveland to you probably <laughs> 10 times over mm. the years. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, this, this, this. And I was like, oh, wow, you have. And she was like, don't you think it's a little strange that all of a sudden, because these two white guys had her on now, she's mm. been, like, validated by you, for you? Mm. <laughs> I was like, felt so Cringe. terrible. But I mm. do remember my first exposure to you was when we were in seminary in Pasadena mm-hmm. and uh, Beyonce performed on the Super Bowl and you wrote a blog ah. post about it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I, we <laughs> well, were having such, yeah. cause I'm a huge Beyonce fan. We we're having such uh, interesting conversations about that. And I was like, isn't this amazing? And she's like, I don't know. And I feel torn about it. And then she had your article and it was like, mm-hmm. you kind of said what was on her mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember that article? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually, I'm thinking, I was thinking about it the other day because I kind of want to go back and revisit some of the things I wrote a long time ago and, and like provide commentary on what I think now. Yes. But I actually should go back. Oh, that will be interesting. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Do you think you would have different fresh thoughts on that? I guess five years ago. I don't remember exactly what I, and you're kind of no, just saying she, I might like, just, I, might, I probably would have just said it's stronger because yeah. I've yeah. been more recently reading a lot about like the Mammy and Jezebel stereotypes of black women on plantations and how they proliferate pl- proliferate <laughs> all throughout um, U.S. culture even now and so I probably would have just been even stronger mm. Mm. that's mm. what it seems like as we talk about your Instagram engagement and Mm-hmm. Just seeing you around now out in public. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you've been, you've become just, it seems like in the last six months or so, much more bold in mm-hmm. how you're talking about things. That's probably true, at least publicly. Mm-hmm. I think my people who know me well know that I'm pretty salty most of the time. <laughs> salty, that's a funny word. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I've been on leave from work. And, um, I've been able to focus a lot on, I mean, I was, you know, working within an institution is always really tricky. And when I first came to Duke, I was, um, I was a joint faculty member and also director of the center for reconciliation. And that particular job didn't really, the center job didn't really work out for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that was tricky for me about playing that role is you don't, um, thanks Academics more or less are expected to just mouth off a lot. Hmm. Um, you're a professor. But when you also are an administrator, it gets more complicated hmm. because you can't – you're also representing the school. You're not just representing yourself. Hmm. And so I felt like my wings were clipped in a way, not necessarily because of Duke, but just the role. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of my prophetic voice – was muted because I had to also think about, well, how is this going to represent the center? How is this going to represent Duke? Um, Whereas now that I'm just faculty and also have been on leave, I've had a lot of time to, to think about who I want to be. And I've been, I mean, I've been gone for a year too. So I think it's nice to just have freedom and to be more of an independent scholar. Yeah. Yeah. No no one from that world is even asking me questions about what I'm doing, which is nice. Do you feel like it's being supported or celebrated from the Duke community in particular? Honestly, I have no idea because I'm I go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean it's a great. I mean this um, the the first six months of my leave was a medical leave, and so I was able to. I was just really intentionally away. I had a lot of digestive issues and mm. was working through those. And then the last um, the last year, the last six months, and then I still have about almost six more months is is a research leave, and so mm. really we're encouraged to just really get away so we can be productive. And yeah. so I've been, I went on campus two weeks ago for the first time in like seven months to pick up mail. Wow. You know, so, wow. Yeah. So it's been, I honestly have no idea what's going on over there and that's actually good. And that's, and that's, that's expected when you're on leave. Yeah. So I don't think anyone's worried. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think, um, my, cha- my, my theology has been in process for the last few years. Um, and I'm processing inwardly and with my like community a lot. And so the things I'm saying now are not new to the people who know me well, but when I decided to start talking more publicly about them, I think that shocked a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but it's been good. It's been good because I've always felt really uncomfortable with how many racist white people seem to like me. Mm-hmm. Interesting, and because I'm, I'm not safe to them, but yeah. they, yeah. I think they read my first book and thought like, "Oh, she's a sweet little black girl," and 
um, disunity I'm, in Christ. And it, it does seem like having read that, uh, you were kind of pulling some punches back then. Oh yeah. yeah. And I, um, I had an, I had an excellent editor at InterVarsity Press. Um, amazing, amazing editor. Um, and I appreciate him a lot. And I think he also knew what evangelical America could handle from a, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah. So it was edited. Yeah. And I had a similar experience when I um, wrote for like a year for Christianity Today. I had a um, call, a monthly column with them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was a similar, like very intense editing to the point where sometimes I was like, I, yeah. it's not clear that I wrote this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's just part of the the silencing of, of black women's voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though everyone I worked with at both CT and also at IVP were great. You know, they're nice. And I think they personally value what I have to say. There's yeah. no businesses mm-hmm. and they know the audiences. So. Well, that's what's so great about <laughs> modern technology. I mean, we don't have to talk about Kanye, but he... Uh, he wrote on his Twitter, he said, I'm writing a book. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then he's like, these Twitter posts are my book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah. And who knows with my next book, I might just go like um, either self-publish or mm-hmm. or go with just a really small press that will let me say what I want. Because yeah. it's just complicated when money involved. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw you posting all these things about your pilgrimage to France. Yeah. And, <laughs> and finding the black Madonnas. And I was hoping that yeah. you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I actually, I probably first discovered the black Madonna um, right after Trump was elected. So a couple mm. years ago. Um, and I, my, my spirituality had been pretty much deconstructed at that point. Um, mm. But I didn't, it hadn't been reconstructed. Um, and I just remember encountering her and within like 45 minutes became a devotee. Mm, (laughs) It was mm. one of those things where you just connect so deeply. And, um, as someone who grew up Protestant and like fairly conservative Protestant, it was very strange to be taking on these like very, um, Catholic, Mm. like, um, behaviors where all of a sudden I was like wearing a black Madonna necklace to work. And there were times when I would be all the way at work parking my car and then realize I had forgotten her and go home and get it. Oh, be I like, love that. Who am I? You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 but just being that I love the visceral physical reminder that God is with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I sort of encountered her, and decided to make her, make her my own as a representation of who God is, is another metaphor for who God is. Mm. Um, and so I've studied and read all sorts of different interpretations, but I sort of just have applied my own sort of spirituality rooted in Christianity slash indigenous African mm. religions to her and, um, and, and sort of constructed a theology around that. So when I, I visited a few black Madonnas before, but then this year when I des- when I learned I was going to get another year off to do research, I decided to go and visit as many as I could in person. And so I went to France and I walked to visit like 18 different ones over five weeks. And when I was first, um, thinking about going, I was just going to rent a car and Mm. drive to all of them. But then I became friends with this guy who was like, I think you should walk to them. Wow. That sounds ridiculous. I don't walk places. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the more I talked with him, he just was like, you know, you've been on this journey of like, you know, like a big part of like our digestive system is mostly like run by serotonin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. so when you have the level of digestive issues that I have, it's usually due to trauma, um, mm-hmm. which I have a lot of it as a black woman, especially a black woman who's been on engaging in, with race issues and class issues and gender issues. Mm-hmm. And so he thought it would just be really beautiful for me to, as someone who's a trauma survivor, to connect with my body and with the earth in that way. Mm-hmm. And um, so cool. I it is really yeah. cool. Yeah. And getting to walk up to a black Madonna and say, like, I walked for two days to come see you or I mm. walked seven hours to come see you. And so many people walked to them mm. over the years. Um, 
and also just connecting with the ground and with the air and with the people. So it was really, it was really neat to, to, to allow people in on that journey. And I was pretty intentional about like not explaining anything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but just saying, this is where I'm, this is what I'm doing. And if people want to listen in and participate in their own way, they're welcome to. And, but it was interesting to practice my own independence in that way because there were lots of people especially in like private messages who were like expect requiring that I explain myself or Um, it's nice to just ignore those and be like yeah this is not about you Mm. yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. well it was fun to follow along the journey I felt like I was partially there in a sense Thank you. Yeah. Oh, it was such an honor to see the many people who did follow along and who were intrigued or curious um, and just open because I think we're taught not to be. Yeah. A lot of spaces, not just Christian spaces, but just in general. And it it makes sense because these are like kind of scary times in the U.S. And so it's easier to just dig our heels in Hmm. and look for certainty. But... And it does yeah. seem like there's these kind of classic pilgrimages, like you could talk about like the El Camino or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, but this, you, you're doing your own. And I just did my own. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's going to try going and doing it themselves, but why not? <laughs> yeah, a few people have asked um, yeah. to like lay out my journey mm-hmm. and also just tips. And so I think I'll do that and probably post it on Patreon because oh, sweet. I think people might people might be interested. And I did a lot of learning and logistics and things that would just be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like what to bring and what not to. Yeah. So I think I might come up with like a little kit or something so that people who are interested, but I like the idea of people just going wherever they feel called mm. and connecting in any way that makes sense to them. Was there one particular black Madonna that was significant? I mean, oh I'm sure they all God. were in their own way. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, yeah, they were all pretty special. Um, so I don't think I can even. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> you know, you and I are about the same age. Okay. I'm 39. Mm. Um, yeah, 38. I, I was a, I'm a pastor's kid. My grandpa's a pastor. My wife's dad's mm-hmm. a pastor. Presbyterian. Where were, where were you? What, what oh, denomination were you? In Church of God in Christ. Okay. Okay. Oh. Black Pentecostal. And your dad was a pastor too, right? Dad, yeah. granddad, great-granddads yeah. on both sides. There it wow. is. <laughs> yeah. I just, and then you, you come from academia as well. So I, what do you yeah. think about this idea of like um, needing to defend yourself, like defending your thesis, defending your views on God, you know, mm. taking tests, proving mm-hmm. that you understand a certain. It's really, it's really white, patriarchal. It's very mm-hmm. left-brained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, last two weeks ago, I co-keynoted an event with Matthew Fox. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's like this really cool old dude. He's, he's an like actor se- on Lost. <laughs> he <plays> Jack. <laughs> the original <laughs> Matthew Fox. Okay. Original. Or an earlier, ver- an earlier yeah. Matthew Fox. No, yeah, I saw a post about that though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he's 78 and he's really cool. Um, and he, um, he was an academic for years and years and years in the Catholic church, mm-hmm. um, until he got kicked out by the Pope. But he talks. Oh, he has a lot of critiques of academia and basically thinks that there's no way you can teach real spirituality in mm. academia because it's so left-brained. Mm. Um, and he really attributes that to like white supremacy and patriarchy. And so I think it's really a tragedy of our Western world that defense shows up so much in academia and in religion. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you spend any time in non-Western spiritual traditions, it's about your experience and each person, like if you say you talk to God, then you talk to God. Like you mm-hmm. don't have to prove that to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea of like a priest or someone who, or like a dissertation committee or someone who's conferring a degree mm-hmm. on you, conferring power on you is just... Um, it's non-existent. And actually before I, like I said, like my spirituality has been deconstructing for a really long time. And so like in 2014, I spent like weeks with Candomblé priestesses in Northern Brazil. And like the way that spirituality works there is it's all dance and it's all like chant and it's Mm. all like, there aren't any like lectures on, you know, what N.T. Wright thinks about like whether, (laughs) you know, whether Christ, 
was omniscient as yeah. Me, yeah yeah you know what I mean or whatever like that's <laughs> a thing it's just let's it was so mm. right-brained mm. you know mm. it's art it's dance yes. it's singing it's and that's it's community it's ritual you know and so I keep asking lots of questions. Do you want do you want to ask a question? Because I have so many. Well, I'm trying to be wary of time if we should go on to Instagram. I know. I, I guess one thing I want to ask you, Christina, is, um, you know, the catch-22 with you is that you have been given, well, not given, earned uh, a PhD. So to mm-hmm. a certain extent, it's given you a platform or uh, it's validated you. Not, not, not in my mind, you know, obviously, but like I, it feels like more people are willing to listen. Hmm because mm-hmm. of that because you yeah. sort of like played the game initially <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um that's unfortunate but no i last week two weeks ago when i was with all these like when i was speaking with matthew fox um most of the people there it was like a wealthy white older crowd and i um kind of joked that um i if you look at my resume my communication style my positions, my degrees, all that sort of stuff. I'm the closest thing you can be to a white man and still be a black woman. Mm. So I do have a lot of privilege. Mm. I, I think that's what's complicated about privilege yeah. is that yeah. it's not black or white. It's not white or male. It's not male or female or anything in between. It's simply like everyone has degrees of it yeah. that we have. You know, I've talked about that somewhere. Yeah, I've I've talked about my own story and like growing up in an upwardly mobile family, black family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so intersectionality is the key for all of us. Intersectionality. All right. uh, uh, Do you want to read? I have this on Instagram. Maybe you you find one and I'll find this one. This is is the one I I would love to. I mean, the content is right here, but I'd love to hear what you have to say about it Um, or how it's been received. Um, Sure. I don't, I don't want to be like for us, like Tally, we had Tally on the podcast and it was like white people often invite him to conferences to get their annual spanking, he called. And then they just uh, go back to yeah. their normal thing. And so mm. we're very cognizant of how it can come across that way. Or like, we think we're so great for talking and having a Tally <laughs> on our podcast. We did it. We solved it. You know, it's like, absolutely yeah. not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I, I yeah I'll just read this. You posted this ten ways you can actively reject your white privilege. Hmm. Um, take up minimal space during anti-racism dialogue and protests. Stop contributing to gentrification and calling it urban development. Listen when people call you on your microaggressions. Never invite people of color to the table for the sake of claiming diversity. Refrain from using your non-white friends as oh wait now I go to the next page uh, as urban dictionary as your urban dictionary. Hmm. <laughs> I don't need to read them all, but like. You you've you've alluded to on your Instagram that that has not been received very well from a lot of white folks. How how has oh, that been received? Oh, you mean oh, just those, just that post? Yeah, or just or or what you said about um uh, about- white folks having a hard time being friends with black people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how has that been received? <laughs> yeah, I th- you know I think there's something so white um critical race scholars, particularly those who that study critical whiteness. Um, which is essentially the ways in which we're all shaped by whiteness, you know, so like kind of studying, you know, that's, that's the assumption at this, with this research. And so they're studying, well, what does that look like and how does that affect us? Um, they, they call white, they, they say that whiteness has a characteristic and they call, they call the term ontological expansiveness, Mm. um, ontological expansiveness, but like a way of, I think about it as white sprawl. Mm. So kind of this idea. Yeah, that whiteness be- thinks it belongs everywhere, mm. thinks it's welcome everywhere, thinks it's qualified to do mm. anything. Wow. And so it's constantly expanding. And it's just, and it's kind of, I think about it as white sprawl because it's kind of like a suburban sprawl where mm. it's just gross. You know what I mean? Where it's like people were just building and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for it. It doesn't seem like it's actually serving the local community. It's just like gross capitalism. Mm. And that's kind of how ontological expansiveness works. It's like white people are are conditioned to think oh like there's a problem i should fix it like mm-hmm. oh there's there's a community over there well my presence in that community is um unequivocally a good thing or mm-hmm. i'm oh i don't know anything about korean culture well i can just learn it and master it like mm-hmm. mastery expanding taking over exploring i mean in the pacific northwest it's ontological expansiveness is like a fruit of the spirit, you oh, know. Oh gosh! <laughs> yeah, 
mean, it's, this is what mm. people are taught to do. Yeah. You know, you mm. just go in, you know, like if go in, like you own the place, go in, like you belong there mm. and convince them that. And so because white whiteness conditions us to do that. And I say us, because anybody who participates in whiteness in any way probably has been conditioned to this white, mm. white people plus other people who benefit from whiteness. And so, um, White people tend to get really upset when you tell them that maybe they're not qualified to do something. Mm. Whereas, like, as a black woman, I'm told all, even a black woman who works at Duke, you mm. know, who's upwardly mobile, who has a PhD, I'm told all the time that I'm mm. not qualified. All the time. Wow. That's nuts. I, I'm, I'm presenting a proposal to my colleagues to teach a class, and there are all these questions about, well, why do you think you're. Meanwhile, mm. if one of my white male colleagues wants to teach a class on, like, African biblical interpretation, everyone's like, oh, for sure. That makes sense. Right. And Mm. so I, I, I don't, I don't get offended when people tell me I'm, I'm perhaps not qualified to do something because I'm so used to it, but I don't Mm. think a lot of white people are told that, especially that they're not qualified to do something with people that have been subjugated by them. Yes. And so people get upset when they, and I love that Malcolm X quote, because it really, he's so good. It's sticking it to you and making you think. Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, it's the same thing for me. Like as a as a cisgendered woman, mm-hmm. do I necessarily get to go into a transgender person's life and just assume that like my friendship is a good thing to them all the mm-hmm. time, the blessing all the time? No, because every time I learn something about being trans, it comes at the expense of someone who's trans telling me that comment you just made was hurtful mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. thing you just said was ignorant. So I'm not an unequivocal good in a trans person's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I don't, I'm ignorant relative. Right. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm accepting the limitations, my own limitations in saying like, yeah, I don't know why a trans person would want me to be their only friend. That's mm-hmm. not a good situation. <laughs> You're practicing that what you mean. Preach. I can't be friendly or I can't be supportive or I can't keep learning and do the best I can. But that doesn't mean I've arrived. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's all he's saying is you haven't arrived. I don't think white people like hearing that they haven't arrived. Mm. Oh, no. Yeah. They don't. No, no, no. Yeah. I like that you. That maybe they never will. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we talk about this in my, with my students at Duke where it's just like I think a big part of white spirituality is the holiness of perpetual repentance. Mm. Like over and over and over again saying, I'm broken. Mm. Society is in the business of trying to break me. And sometimes I give into that and I really need mm. healing. That's so You good. know, and that's like the spiritual path. Yeah. Amen. Which is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he was like, the first will be last and the last will be first. Like that mm. is literally the spiritual path. Mm. It's so easy. <laughs> Working with young people, we always, if you say anything good, you get a lot of snaps. Love snaps I yeah, like I want... You'd be getting a lot of snaps right now from lots of people. Do you have something on your on the Instagram that you want to read? Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say one thing that mm-hmm. I've always loved about just your dif- your spirituality is emphasizing God's femininity, femininity, femininity. Um, which hard. for me in my spiritual journey has been super important. Discovering Julian of Norwich was like. Mm-hmm. life-changing for me and thinking of Jesus as a mother was so important mm-hmm. for me. So in looking just at all the things you posted, you posted this one quote um, by Lady Dane Figuero Aditi. Um, and I would like just love to read it and hear your thoughts on it yeah. and why you posted it maybe. Um, in the beginning, there was no gender. There were no pronouns. There was only the great spirit. God is God, the universe, birth, awareness. And it was good. Good. Yeah, her whole book is amazing. Oh my god. Hmm. Um I I love that quote because it shows how much of um who God is that we've just added, you hmm. know. It just it, to me it just seems so inclusive. And when I think of God I think of inclusivity. Yeah. And so I just I just when I read it the first time it just sort of took my breath away. Hmm. This idea like, I think I'm fighting to reclaim God as feminine, mm. not because I think God is exclusively feminine, but because God's masculinity has been so overemphasized mm. that it's become toxic, you yeah. know? And that's yeah. really what masculin- masculinity without femininity is toxic. Mm. They have to be in relationship. And so 
it, it was a beautiful, I feel like so much of the work I've been doing about reclaiming God's femininity is really so that I can just get to the place where I can, be, I can truly believe what Lady Dane said, which is mm. that in the beginning, it was neither. Mm. It was everything. It was just birth, you know? Yeah. Um, because really, especially as more, I think more and more and read more trans theology, like the binary male, female, masculine, feminine, that's not even the final frontier, you know, like we really do have to get back to no gender or just all gender <laughs> in order to really understand, get closer to who God is. Mm, you know? yeah. I think a pathway to that is reclaiming some of the femininity, but it can't stop there because yeah, it can't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you're trained as a social psychologist. I mean, I, I wish am, we had lots yeah. of time to talk about that too. But it's like <laughs> it's it's trying to. It sounds like also like you're doing a lot of work in terms of helping us. Like you can like what you're saying is you can understand it with your brain, but you're it's going to take a lot of time for you personally for us to have it really get, get mm-hmm. into our spirits and minds and hearts. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I remember mm-hmm. reading Paul Tillich a few years ago. He, he has this book, The Courage to Be, and it's essentially ends by saying God arrives when God dies. Essentially, mm-hmm. the God that you've understood mm-hmm. as a child mm-hmm. dies and, and a new God arises. And it sounds similar to this idea of like white male God needs to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's something you keep talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People get offended. People, people really <laughs> it's do. It's so it's... good, though. It's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say I'm really glad that my first book, and to a certain extent, my second book, which should be out soon, it's at the publisher. Um, What's I'm it glad called? Uh, it's probably called Power Trip, but Power I, Trip. Well, I'm not 100% sure okay. yet. <laughs> None of this is, like, actually in my hands, so I don't try yeah. not to be attached. Um, but it's nice that those books are lo- a lot less emotion like they're I'm a less less emotionally, emotionally invested in them because mm-hmm. now – because I've learned how to just – be okay with people having issues and critiques. And I remember when I was first writing, it was like, <laughs> Oh no, they misunderstand me. And I like, couldn't sleep. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I needed to be understood or I mm-hmm. needed you know, all these things. And I think that was just like wounds from childhood, you know, of not feeling it. And now I'm just like, Oh, that ears who hear, hear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. True. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I definitely had some spunk even when I was on the black Madonna <laughs> pilgrimage too, spunk. because so many people, I mean, I, there, I, if it's gross, it's literally gross. The number of like churches that would never invite me to come preach hmm. that I know for a fact their senior pastors distribute my writings and make everyone on their staff read, Gosh. right? You know, like, yeah. and so it's like, you know, just years and years and years of just giving and giving hmm. and giving to white evangelicalism, you know, and not, not receiving anything, not even p- recognition, let alone like a paycheck. Wow. Right? Wow. And so, and then to see those very pastors flipping out when mm. I'm on, you know, this pilgrimage, because now I'm saying something, I'm unhinged, I'm not controlled, I'm, I'm doing something that they can't control. And um, it was just kind of liberating just to be like, after all I've done for you people and you can't even hold space for some discomfort for a second, <laughs> forget it. For you know? like and then, I mean, that's, it's just, it's just like, I, I knew it, but yeah. and now I know, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And like yeah. in my heart, I knew, but now I'm like, what? Like. <laughs> That goes back to the metaphor, too, that of you saying these women were putting the black Madonnas up and the white pastor comes by and says, that's not appropriate. You know, Oh, totally. We're not asking your permission anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and so it's just it's realizing like, you know, there's a remnant. You know, I read a lot of Palestinian theology and they're super passionate about the remnant, the mustard seed. You know, mm. like, why do you need everybody? You don't mm. need the people who are going to be there. Mm. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, let's just go with, let's just go with who's coming, hmm. you know, which oh, might man. be, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I <laughs> talk to you forever. I, I want, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was hoping if you have a little bit of time just to talk a little bit about being an Enneagram one. Oh, are you a one? I'm a five. Macy's a I'm four. A four. Five. We're just yeah. really oh, big four. fans okay. of the Enneagram. <laughs> Oh, That's okay. something we cover a lot on the podcast. We do an oh, Enneagram episode yeah. every five episodes. Oh, fun. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah. we've done an episode yeah. on ones. 
Yeah, I live with a one, so it's... Oh, you I, do? Okay. I love... Like, multiple of my best friends are ones, so... Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm drawn to their stability, I think, as a four. So those are called uh, either the improvers or the perfectionists. Reformers. 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 How, how, how yeah. do you... How does that... Uh, how does that play out in your life? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, now that I'm... Um, older and wiser and, and healthier. I love being a one <laughs> because you see everything. Um, you don't, I was talking to father Richard, you know, R- R- Richard Rohr. Yeah. Okay, so I spoke at one of his things. And so we spent some time together and I was, he's a one as yep. well, mm-hmm. but it's actually been really fun to know him and to see the amount of serenity that's mm. that you can have. Um, and I have moments of that, but yeah, it's a gift of ones that, because we see everything. So mm. if I'm able to have peace, it's like real peace. Because mm. And you the see world how it can be better. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The world yeah. is not okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> One's remind us um, of that. Yeah. But um, he was saying that he describes being a one as getting um, – it feels like you're getting body slammed every three seconds. Mm. And that made a lot of sense to me because it does. Like it's painful. Mm. And you're – I'm exhausted all the time just mm. because I don't miss anything. And I was talking to my realtor. My realtor's this hilarious um, like – white southern white dude who's like 52 who I've been like um I'm working with him for the third time now and so like over the last few years of knowing him it put him through like a graduate course on like racism um and so like, we just have all these conversations all the time and now he's like yeah he's doing some really cool stuff towards equity in mm. his but anyways well he was saying, like, well, when you go to, like, Europe or somewhere else, like, do you feel less anxiety about being a black person? And he calls it anxiety just because I think it makes him anxious to notice these things. It doesn't make me anxious. Um, but um, I was like, no, I see it. I just It just looks different. I still see it there, you know? And he was yeah. like, oh, dude. Like, he was, like, hoping I could escape it, you know? <laughs> nope. And I, like, I nope, see everything. So I, um, I really love um, – I love how astute we are. Mm -hmm. I love how I can never turn off my love for justice. Mm -hmm. I I think the downside is that um, if I'm not offering myself a lot of compassion, Mm -hmm. then it can ruin my justice work because then it's all out of resentment Mm -hmm. and self and so I took a class four years ago now on mindful self-compassion that just changed my life. And so now that's a, my mindful self-compassion practice is a big part of my justice practice. That's awesome. I know I can't, I think I'm going to write something about that soon actually. Um, because I can't, um, yeah, I cannot love others well without loving myself well. So mm-hmm. it's been neat to, and then I think as a one, if you can learn to love yourself as a one, you can yeah. love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and my spouse cool. is a seven. Wow. wow which so is fun. the pathway to integration for me. Yeah. yeah. And so actually I've, I was pretty intentional in choosing to marry him mm. um, <laughs> because I, I know enough about myself to know that that's what I need, even mm. if it's driving me crazy. And I've, and I'm, and I've, I've learned to just sort of, relinquish control surrender mm, yeah. his sevenness because wow. he basically spends about 99.9 percent of his time planning fun being fun shenanigans <laughs> like <laughs> wasting time uh, <laughs> uh indulgence <laughs> up yeah. things yeah like i mean it's just <laughs> and you even said that on your pilgrimage the idea of walking felt inefficient to you hmm. oh yeah yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, wow totally yeah so that's and that's so i it's neat to like you know the enneagram has been a great tool in helping me just be healthier because it was um, perfect for me to walk because mm. then i actually had to be present yeah, yeah. in a way that art is a one yeah so. this all blends together spirituality is you know it's mystical it's hard to, it's hard to mm-hmm. make it academic yeah. and even as we have talked <laughs> about the enneagram there are there are people that get concerned that it's like this false religion or something. And Mm -hmm. they're like, prove it, prove it through science, prove it through the Bible. And it's like, rather than just saying it's experiential, it's, it's something that you live into. It feels true to me. Yeah. 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 I don't know. But I mean, if anyone can, if anyone can be the, 
judge and jury of their own experience and then how can we control them yeah mm. <laughs> i know <Gosh>. true <laughs> Isn't that scary? It's so much about relinquishing control and saying, oh, okay, that's true for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know, so, oh, sorry. Is that my you? Com- yeah, it's me. My computer's trying to update. There you go. Oh, yeah. We can still hear you. Okay. I, I know you need to get going, but maybe the one yeah. final question. Do you have a final question? I have one final question. Oh, happened? oh there it is. I should be back. Well, so, I guess my question is, as we're wrapping up, is like, what's what's uh on the horizon for you like um with your patreon with your work with your yeah all that i'm um well on patreon we just started the black madonna pilgrimage so people who are listening to this podcast should totally think about joining us because we still have this whole year um and we're gonna go to 11 we started in trinidad we're gonna go to 11 more stops wow and i've been amazed at how many people how many people are just like energized and are kind of doing conversations in their communities around Mm -hmm. it and like it's beautiful to see just kind of this conversation about race and gender and god and us and Mm -hmm. how can we be more liberated to love each Mm -hmm. other well um so i'm really i'm really excited about that um i wrote the proposal for my new book god is a black woman Mm -hmm. um Wow. It's just a matter of, um, and I've written the first two chapters, and the first two chapters are actually about um, a family member, and that person has already read them and loves them, which is oh. huge. Um, so uh, it's a matter of just getting it sold yeah. somewhere. Mm-hmm. My yeah. agent read it and said, this is an amazing proposal, one of the best I've ever seen. Let's just hope that a publisher gets past their own reactivity long Mm. enough to see that there's a market for it. Mm. So we'll see. Um, I'm not against like self-publishing or just doing whatever it takes to get it out there, but it's going to be the first half is called he who was where I tell all these stories about the catalytic moments when um, a white male God and the theology that it's based on just, broke down for me, mm-hmm. um, around issues of mental illness, around body image issues, around like structural racism experiences in the church, that kind of stuff growing up. And then the second half is called she who is where I just mm-hmm. construct a theology based on, well, what if God's a black woman? Um, mm-hmm. what, how does that look different in terms of how we view the cross, how we view our bodies, how we view shame, how we view control, mm-hmm. um, and leadership and all that sort of stuff. So I'm really excited about that. And hopefully my power book will be out this year too. It's like yes. kind of final stages of revisions, wow. but hard to know. So there's kind of a lot on the horizon. That's yeah. I just so... started a profit too. So that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to think about these like prophetic voices, like to think mm. about, you know, reading James Cone again, he was emphasizing in my life how important Malcolm X was mm-hmm. and um, how we obviously, especially as a Christian community, Probably, I can't. I don't know if you can overemphasize Martin Luther King, but like we we choose him over uh, Malcolm X because he's yeah. safer. I mean, it's the fact that they're pitted against each other. Yes. It's yeah. Fine. Yes. Yeah. Um, but they're not at the time very palatable. I don't know if they're easy voices to publish, hmm. <laughs> but they're so important. These yeah. voices. I mean, James Cone obviously got published, but um, I don't. Well, he got published in academic presses, which right. is easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not very few people will read them. Yeah. I even thought it was interesting how this last year Eugene Peterson died and we mm. should it's absolutely appropriate to mourn Eugene Peterson in the way we did but uh, nobody talked about James Cone in the Christian community especially up here in Seattle. Yeah, like, yeah the white the same year. Yeah, yeah, the white Christian community. Yeah. Everybody yeah. was posting about Eugene Peterson. It's so huge. It's like, oh, James Cone also died. I didn't really talk about that. <laughs> well, I mean, most people go to seminary and don't even you went to I seminary, never didn't heard even of him. read him. Never, never read James Cone. She suggested Cone. that I read James Cone. I was like, oh. Yeah. I know a lot of people have said that to me. Yeah. Like, oh, I didn't even know who James Cone was until after seminary. Yeah. And that's intentional. Yeah. You know, you're such an important Ridiculous. voice in the sense that, like, okay, I mean, like, kind of full circle, Beyonce, you know, she comes out with Lemonade, and mm-hmm. there's all this even language about, uh, Love God, love God herself, Jack Black says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very, yeah, I mean, there yeah. are Arishas in there, and yeah, it's very, it's very West African. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and Beyonce is very articulate, but she's first and foremost an artist, so she's not walking around the country really unpacking what she's mm-hmm. doing in that album. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, to have your voice out there, I don't know, I mean, I don't even, I'm, I'm so grateful, and I'm just so, I'm so excited <laughs> to see what happens. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, the best is yet to come. Yeah, That's absolutely. Yes. Okay, well, yeah, I know yeah. sort of theologically. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you gave us 10 more minutes than you were prepared. Thank you. Yeah. Thank well, you thank so you much. Thank you for having me on. Oh. It's so nice to meet you all. If you and... come to Seattle, maybe we can have a, an interview with you in person sometime or just, yeah. You're like, always yeah, welcome. You and Emily or whatever, but... <laughs> So, yeah, I'm so have, glad. I- have you heard of a uh, trigger warning on, on Netflix with, with Killer Mike? No. I'm going to highly recommend it to you. Do you know who Killer Mike is? <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you know the rap group Run the Jewels? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, well, if you remember. Are they Seattle they people? No, no. They're, no. they're a huge rap group, uh, and it's kind of cool because uh, it's LP who's white and Killer Mike, and he's from Atlanta. He's all over the... Uh, country right now he's a huge bernie sanders supporter very vocal but he has a netflix uh is bernie sanders running again i i I think he might be planning to but um killer mike is very (laughs) it would be considered somewhat of an activist i think he's about our age Um, okay and run the jewels has three albums out but he has a he has a new netflix series called trigger warning it's six episodes oh Um, okay but it's all about like uh empowering the black community he's at the end he always has like a call to action so one of them was like uh, every Friday from now on should be Black Friday where our country decides to buy from only black businesses. Oh, um, okay. But he, his most recent episode that I watched was uh, uh, trying to empower this group of Crips and Bloods to have their own product that they sell at farmer's markets. So he had oh, them yeah. develop a cola and they call it Cola, and he has t-shirts <laughs> now and they're making it a real thing, but um, it's 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 so good. Uh, Interesting. So my, my recommendation for you. Today. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah I'll check it out. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Have a good rest of your afternoon. Thank you. Enjoy the game. Yeah. All right. Okay, (laughs) bye. (laughs) Well, that is it for this week's episode of No Small Thing. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Cleveland as much as we did. Please go follow Christina Cleveland on Instagram. Check out her website, buy her book, and consider supporting her work on Patreon. Also, you can follow us, No Small Thing, on Instagram as well. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all the major social media website stuff. We so appreciate you listening, everyone. Next week, we will be interviewing Pastor Aaron Williams about Black History Month and racial reconciliation. Stay curious, everybody. (laughs) Wow. We've never tried that catchphrase before. That was very spontaneous. Stay curious. Does that sound good or too cheesy? We'll try to fit it in there a few more times and see if it sticks. Uh, So we'll try it one more time. Stay curious, everyone. See you next week.